<clears throat> well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we are in the process of talking about what our spiritual goals are for ourselves uh, individually and for the church as a whole. Um, I started out this discussion a couple weeks ago by uh, asking you to consider your life and what kind of soil your life represents right now. Uh, is the soil of your life uh, healthy and ready for growth, or are there rocks or weeds or other things that need to be dealt with? So there were some things that I asked you to consider. Uh, number one, are there things that we need to leave behind? Is there fear, uh, anger, bitterness, hurt, uh, anxiety that you need to name before God? And the one thing I want to just make clear about those things again is that um, it's okay to be working through those things. I understand that some of the sadness or the anxiety or the hurt that you're feeling isn't just going to go away because you name it before God. But it is important to name it before God and to acknowledge that it's part of our spiritual terrain. It's part of what we're dealing with and, and trying to come to terms with. Uh, secondly, are there things that uh, you really want to see happen in your spiritual life this year? What are uh, some areas that maybe you want to see new growth or new depth, um, a deeper relationship with God. And then I encourage you to pray about being open to what God has for you, no matter what it may be. Last week, we talked about how we start down this road, down this road to um, greater connection with God. Uh, and we we started this by... Uh, recognizing that one of the biggest obstacles to us effectively growing through spiritual practices, which we're talking about, is our negative relationship with time. We have to take time to be quiet and listen for the voice of God. We recognize that there is a door between God and us. Sometimes we are going to God's door and knocking, and God promises that when we knock, He will answer. But the other side is that God is also coming to our door. He is standing there and knocking, wanting to come in. So a principle that we learned is that in our relationship with God, it cannot be all about us talking, asking, and needing. We have to take time to listen. And in order to listen, we have to make time for quiet. We need to quiet our mind, quiet our hearts, so that we can hear God knocking on our door. I challenged you this last week to take time for quiet before God, and hopefully you took that time and were blessed by it. Now, there was a short video that I put out on Friday which made one more point about silence, and that is this. The point of silence is not necessarily to receive revelation, i.e., it's not so that maybe you'll hear some great direction or movement or word from God. Uh, the point of silence is to be able to hear God at all to be able to connect with him so that whatever it is he wants to say to you, whether it's big or small, whether it's in the earthquake or in the whisper, you will be ready to hear. So today, we are going to talk about the next discipline that brings dramatic change to our spiritual life. And this discipline is the discipline of study. We need to be in the Word of God, reading, studying, and absorbing what the Word of God has to say to us. Now, I first want us to talk about how we approach the Word of God. And in order to, to get to this, I want you to think about this question. When you look at the Bible, 
what is it to you? How would you describe it? Because I think that we can approach the Bible in a couple of different ways. For example, we might approach the Bible as a textbook. This is, in my right hand here, an actual biblical textbook, a journey through the Hebrew Scriptures. Now, many people have likened the Bible to something like this, an instruction manual. Uh, so with the Bible, of course, it's more than just a journey through the Hebrew Scriptures. We view it as an instruction manual for life. And within its pages, it tells us all of the things that we are supposed to do and the things that we're not supposed to do. It tells us how to live in relationship with God. And when we think of the Bible this way, we're doing so with, you know, good reason. Second uh, Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17 says this, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I mean, listen to the words that are there. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, training, equipping for every good work. So it's not difficult for us to look at the Bible as an instruction manual, as something that is telling us what to do and how we should do it. This is not an incorrect way to read the Bible. The Bible is, in fact, full of instructions. The problem, however, is that if I approach the Bible with only this point of view, my relationship with it becomes something based on how much I know or how much I can get right. How many facts can I memorize? Uh, can I know enough to pass the test? Now, while the Bible does give us a great deal of knowledge and instruction, we have to recognize that this is not all it is, that our relationship to the Bible has to be more than a book of instructions. Because the Bible is also just as much, if not more, a story about a relationship. I mean, you know how the story goes. A loving God creates humanity. Things go wrong again and again, but God loves his creation and fights to have a relationship with them. So when we read the Bible, we are reading about this relationship between God and man. And even all of the instructions that we see, all of the guidance, it is all about this relationship. And, and through the story, we see what humanity is like. And we see that humanity is constantly struggling with itself and constantly fighting against who God is. And it's a story that is full of passion. There is war, destruction, great victories. There are quiet moments in caves and mangers. There are public moments, huge display of God's power. From both sides of the story, both God and man, there is anger and frustration and great displays of emotion. God gets angry with his creation all the time. Listen to these words from Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. The word of the Lord came to me. Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem. This is what the Lord says. I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown, 
Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, you descendants of Jacob, all you clans of Israel. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your ancestors find in me that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. The passage goes on, but do you hear the frustration in the words of God? That he had done such great things for his people, and yet his people had at some point decided that he wasn't worth it anymore and had turned away from him to other gods. There is hurt, there is anger, there is a lack of understanding about how this could happen. Humanity on the other side of the coin gets angry with God just as often. From Psalm chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long, I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. Okay, if we can get over some of the overdramatic nature of what the writer said there, again, it expresses a deep hurt and frustration and longing for God to intervene into the situation and wondering where God is, even to the point that's saying, if I'm dead, then how can I proclaim your praises? The Bible tells a story of this relationship, and throughout the story, we see this relationship ebb and flow. We see the relationship succeed and fail. But the main character of the story, the one who keeps driving the plot forward, is the God who will not give up on the people he loves. He loves them so much, in fact, that he, he sent his son to become like them, sacrificing him so that his creation might have life with him. The gospel, that story, is a story that breaks the heart only to repair and fill it again. It's a story that has driven even the proudest to their knees before the God who would not let them go. So we see that the Bible is not really one thing. The Bible is two things. More than that, even. But it instructs and describes. It tells us what we should do and how we should live, but it is telling us what we should do and how we should live within a loving and caring relationship with a God who sacrificed His Son for us. It lists behaviors and it tells a story. It tells us what we should do and it draws us in to this relationship that we, that we can see God and humanity living out, and we can see what works, and we can see what fails, and ultimately we see how much God loves us. Therefore, when we read the Bible, we need to look at the study of the Bible not only as learning something, but as getting to know someone. The Bible 
introduces us to who God is and describes him and his personality and how he loves and how willing he is to give everything to save us. Studying the word of God doesn't just tell us what to do, it helps us to know who God is and it helps us to know ourselves in relationship to him. So this is what we are reading. But why is studying and knowing and absorbing it so important? Let's read together Psalm 1, verses 1 through 6. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Okay, so the writer of the psalm here makes a simple correlation for us. The word of God to us is like water to a plant. Being connected to God through his word makes you healthy, just like a tree that is planted by the water is healthy because it has a constant, sufficient water source. Now, we're going to take a moment to talk about plants and water. And the first question that I want to ask you might seem like a stupid one, but here it is anyway. I like stupid questions. Let me find it. There it is. Why do plants need water to grow? Why is water so essential to them being healthy and strong? Well, there is a process that takes place in plants called transpiration. Transpiration is the loss of water from plants in the form of vapor or evaporation. Now get this, I didn't realize this. 95% of the water that a plant takes in is lost to transpiration. It evaporates. And the other 5% is used during photosynthesis for producing the carbohydrates necessary for plant growth. Thus, a plant must always have adequate water, particularly when the weather is sunny and hot and the water evaporates from the plant at a faster rate. If there is not enough water, the plant will start to die and wilt. So what does this mean? It means that most of the water a plant takes in is lost to the environment. Uh, it simply evaporates. Again, only 5% of the water is available to actually help the plant grow by the time it gets to that part in the process. And this tells us something. It tells us that within this illustration that the psalmist brought up, we can never have too much of God. Our environment is going to steal some of what we want to absorb away from us. And don't we know this is true? If we are being stingy with our supply of God, then we will wilt when things get hard. If you are counting on Sunday morning to take care of all the gods you need for the week, you are not getting enough. you're not getting enough because you're only getting 5% of this. And that's not enough to keep you going through the week. Secondly, water 
typically makes up 80 to 95% of the mass of growing plant tissues. If you compare a healthy plant to a dried up plant, I've seen many more dried up plants in my house than healthy plants, so it's not a bad, you know, I can very easily see it. But the, the difference is really dramatic. On a dried up plant, everything shrivels up. It gets smaller and gets brittle and dry. It, its entire structure begins to break down. Leaves turn color and drop. The branches turn rigid. Why does this happen? It's because the plant is mostly water, and when that water goes away, there is no fresh source, and everything just begins to collapse in on itself. So this, too, tells us something about our spiritual life. Being watered is a constant process if we are going to stay alive spiritually. We cannot rely on an occasional watering or the watering we had a month ago. If we are not watering our faith by staying connected to God's word, then we will dry up and be blown away. It is just what happens. We can't stay healthy if we cut ourselves off from the water supply. One more plant water fact for you this morning. Plants have adapted over time to tolerate extremes in water availability. Plant water availability is influenced by soil moisture. Um, the texture and structure of soils, what the soil consists of, will determine how good the soil is for plant life. So if the soil dries without addition of water from rain or irrigation or something else, then permanent wilting may occur, resulting in the death of the plant. And our spiritual life, again, is just like this. The soil must be good. It must have water in it. It must be a place where the nutrients and the things that the plant needs can be drawn out of it. Think of it like a storage place for the plant, that it has to have that moisture, that water in there. It has to be right in order to keep the plant from drying up. This is, in fact, my last plant <laughs> fact for this morning. Here you go. Growth is dramatically affected by the timing and amount of water applied during production. Certain stages of plant growth are more sensitive to water stress than others. Plant vigor and overall resistance to stress from insects and or disease are influenced by water status. Therefore, optimum growth and quality can only be achieved if water is properly managed. Now, I know that sounded very kind of technical and rote, but this is actually the most interesting one to me. If the plant is going to be healthy enough to resist outside sources, such as insects or sun or whatever it is, it has to have the right amount of water. Because if it is living in a time where these things are going to be bombarding the plant, it needs more water in order to survive and to be able to fight off whatever these outside influences are. Um, this has to be managed constantly to make sure that there is enough during times of stress. Now, I don't know if the writer of the psalm was thinking about all of these things when he wrote Psalm 1. I kind of doubt it. But it's great how God has made this one example tell us so much about ourselves and how we need to stay connected to him. The psalm gives us some great insight into our relationship with God and how we can stay healthy. Uh, so what does it mean then to meditate on the law day and night? Now, clearly, I don't think the expectation is that we are to literally meditate on the law day and night. 
But what it does suggest is that there is a process that we go through, an, an internalization that should take place with the Word of God to where we are never far away from it. It is in our hearts, it is in our minds, it is always in the back of our thoughts. So, in other words, you read God's Word, and as you read it, you get to know God. And the greater the relationship you build with His Word, the more your relationship grows with Him until God and all that you have learned about Him through His Word becomes the determining agent in your life. As you read it and come to know him, your life will be connected to him and you will stay healthy and strong. Your life will be molded by this connection to God and his word. Therefore, when you are out, no matter what you are doing, no matter what you are going on, even though you are not literally reading the word of God, you are taking God's word with you because it is in your heart and your mind. It's a relationship. You are connected. Your, the plant that is your life is getting all the water it needs. It is healthy and strong. And we have to see that the alternative to this, to carrying the word with us, to being connected to God, is that when we are not connected to him, spiritually speaking, we dry up. And the plant can potentially die. I had a conversation uh, with a good friend this last week, and he was telling me about all the stress that's been going on with work and all the things that have been going on at home. And uh, they have, in his life, in his family's life, they've just had a litany of things to deal with. And he was talking about how he hadn't been to church and he, uh, he had stopped watching the online stuff and he's not studying his Bible. And, and even at home, like the prayer life of their family has changed and it just doesn't have the same impact that it used to. And, and then he reflected on how much happier, how much better he felt when he was being fed by the word of God every week. And he said, I just, I just have to get back to this. I have to. What he was describing to me was this drying up. And what he realized was he has to connect himself back to the community, back to the word of God, so that he can start to grow again. Because, church, when you become spiritually dry, you can feel it. You know it. Deep in your heart and your bones, you can feel the loss of your connection to God. So we must be in the word because studying the word of God is what keeps us connected to him. It's what tells us the most about him. Listen to these words from John 15 as we close this morning. Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, whatever you wish, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in His love. There's something we need to understand about this connectedness. Notice the way that Jesus talks about His relationship to the Father. The Father cuts off any branch on Him, Jesus, that does not bear fruit. He does this to Jesus so that Jesus will not have these dead areas of growth. And and the places that are growing, he prunes them so that they will be even more fruitful. Now, we don't tend to think about Jesus in these terms. We think of Jesus as being so independent and all-knowing, but Jesus is telling us a different story. He is telling us how he has to stay connected to the Father if he is going to do the work of the Father. In John 5, 19, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. This tells us that Jesus sees Himself as being completely dependent on the Father. He has to listen to what the Father tells Him in order to stay healthy and strong, in order to produce fruit. Jesus has to do this. Now, if this was true of Jesus and the Father, isn't the same true of us? We need to be connected to Jesus just as he is connected to the Father. And the further away you get from Jesus, the less fruitful you're going to be. You stay connected to him by following his commands, by knowing who he is and knowing what it is that he talked about and told us to do, paying attention to his teachings, and then following through. This is what it means to be connected to him. Furthermore, who you are, your spiritual life, and the fruit you bear give proof to how connected you are to Jesus. To put it simply, you can tell if someone is a disciple of Jesus by the fruit that their life shows. And that fruit comes from being connected and staying connected. So, what kind of relationship do you have to the Word of God right now? Are you going to the Word to hear what it has to say to you? Are you open to seeing not just what you should do in certain situations, but to seeing the story that's being told about God and His people? Here's a good question to ask. How is the Word of God changing you? If it's not changing you, then you might not have the relationship that you need to have with God and His Word. This week, I want to challenge you to get into the Word of God and to think about connectedness. I'm going to send some things out to you uh, this week for you to read and to reflect. You're welcome to choose your own things as well. But I want you to meditate this week on what God has done to be connected to you. And as you read from His Word, my prayer is that you may start to water your soul. May you grow to be healthy and strong because you are in a relationship and connected to God who is a source of all life. 
and to his son Jesus, who loves you and wants you to grow and be strong in God. May the word of God instruct us and may it draw us into relationship with a God who knows us better than anyone and loves us with all of his heart.